0: Hello, I'm your host, Gabby, and you're listening to Diversity Alliance Talks, the show where we discuss and address those common and sometimes uncommon challenges that need prioritising and authentically working towards to have a real change that impacts society through the events we plan and deliver. To help us on the journey, we speak with diverse people who have lived experience of how inclusivity, equity, and accessibility directly affects them in the workplace, events, and beyond as well as speaking with experts who work to make those communities' experiences better so that we can learn from them. Diversity Alliance Talks is about sharing ways for our listeners to develop awareness, knowledge, understanding, and empathy, helping individuals and organizations to put in place authentic practices that instigate change. Events have the power to educate, change society, and potentially change lives. So, let's go. Welcome to our viewers and listeners today my name is Gabby and I'm your host I am wearing a black velvety roll neck top kind of trying to be in the festive spirit with a little gold necklace I have long dark hair uh, I have brown skin and I love to wear red lipstick because it makes me feel confident it makes me feel good and I have a very beige background which is I'm not a beige person but my background is beige But I have a nice pop of color with the plant that is sitting behind me called Chaz And I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today, uh, Lou. And you are going to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in your background.
1: So I'm Lou. I am a white, middle-aged, middle-everything woman uh, (laughs) with a pale blue um, roll neck sweater to keep me warm on these cold days. I have my favourite colour sofa in the background, which is teal, um, and I have the Christmas tree just to my left. Uh, probably you're right, um, which is, has got also some teal baubles on because we're recording this in the run up to Christmas.
0: We are, we are. Let's hope I don't release this in June. No, I won't. It'll <laughs> be released in January. But uh, yeah, your your home looks very cozy, and I also love the color teal. So thank you so much for joining us. Now, um, we actually connected a while back, and I'd say we kind of connected um, around the accessibility um I don't want to necessarily call it an issue because I don't think it should be an issue it should just be a, a way of being that is just a fundamental part of our workplaces our society and our events but can you tell me how you kind of got involved around accessibility and kind of what you've been doing within the opsnest and then maybe actually you want to share a little bit about what the opsnest does first before moving on to that.
1: So the Oxnest started out of COVID, um, so many of us had to swivel, pivot, whatever you want to call it, um, within the events industry over the last few years. And the Oxnest is my, is my pivot, and actually, I ended up um, focusing on the Oxnest rather than my previous pre COVID pre-COVID business. The Oxnest is a learning community um, and uh, it's mainly focused around training, development, and kind of collaborating together to learn and increase our knowledge and understanding. Mm. So jump forward to accessibility. One of the um areas that we've have focused on in the ops nest um is and we call them obstacles. Um, <laughs> we take an obstacle, we call it an obstacle uh, because we're an ops and we ask our community within the ops nest to, to come up with solutions to a problem that we feel that our industry isn't addressing. Okay, so we've okay. done some stuff around sustainability, we've done a bunch of stuff around trading fairly, so the procurement process within our industry. Mm-hmm. And the one that we started on about six months ago was around how do we create, an, create environments that are more accessible, more inclusive to more people, mm-hmm. um, so that um, everybody can benefit, both event organizers, and more, more importantly, the people that do come to
0: events. So that's how we we started I mean that's amazing what you do and you have built a fabulous community and obviously I see that the work that you're doing and you know and and focusing on these I love obstacles I just love it it's really important so we can address those problems and those challenges that we all collectively collectively face Um, and it really should be a bit more about our attendees our guests um, even our clients when we deliver events I think sometimes we think a little bit too much in our own in our own kind of lane and vein of what we feel is appropriate or what our needs are, and, and forget actually who we're kind of delivering events for. So I think it's fantastic that you you look to explore this further. Um, but where did your kind of interest? Because you know I know you're you you know you're very hot on accessibility, but from my experience of talking with you previously, you do have a general passion for kind of like D E and I diversity, equity and inclusion. I mean, where did that stem from?
1: Um, so I think if I look way back, I was brought up in the Salvation Army, so I've always um, been, you know, my my whole upbringing has been about serving, serving others, you know, whether there's a crisis and the Salvation Army send out the tea van, um, or kind of Christmas, um, homelessness, um, there's, al- there's always been an element throughout my upbringing, so I think my mum for that of um of your duty as a human being to serve others um so I guess fundamentally that's a big part of it that's played out in lots of different ways um I when I was in my early 20s after I left uni and I'd watched too much daytime telly on a Saturday um I decided there had to be I had to be able to give back more than than just you know allow allow myself to kind of fall into the the consumer um, mm-hmm. kind of status quo. So I um I joined a buddy program. I lived in London. Um I became a kind of big sister or a big friend to an eight year old girl. Uh, mm-hmm. She had arthritis, um, juvenile arthritis, mm-hmm. um and and I was her friend for ten years. And and through those ten years, um I got to experience so much. Um, of her life and her family's life and what that looked like. Um, she lived in a council estate off the Holloway Road, um, very um, deprived area, um, everybody in the household was on some benefits of some kind or another. At the age of 16 she was taken to the Dole office, she wasn't taken there to look for a job, she was just taken there to sign on. That was, that was the kind of life and world that they lived in and sadly she um, died when she was 18 as um as a result of the life that she had um she uh, i won't go into it now but it had a real impact on me to see that um the cards that you are played with mm. um so many of us assume we are entitled to those cards and 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 we don't see the advantage of those cards um, and actually those 10 years spending with her have been so important in my understanding that we, um, the cards that we are played, we need to play those on. We can't keep that hand. It's mm-hmm. not our hand. To, it's not our hand to keep. And um, if you choose to, that hand will always ever be that hand of cards. Mm-hmm. But if you choose to, to make that hand into something that's that's more than you, then... Then things multiply, um, and so yeah. So I guess I guess that's the kind of very overarching kind of influences. I think in terms of DI, and I, more on the diversity side. Um, my son is mixed race. Um, he his father's Ugandan. Sorry, my dog in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, his dad is Ugandan. I'm English. Um, my son is mixed heritage and so our household even though I don't um experience directly towards me um some of the elements around diversity our household um does um yeah. and it's a very present part of our life particularly as he's moving out of puberty and into adulthood and watching the change of how society interacts with him from being a mixed child to being a black man
0: mm-hmm. um
1: And it just highlights um, a lot of things to me that that actually I feel it's it's in my hand of cards um, to ensure I move our world in a better place.
0: I love that. And you listen to your stories and experiences. I hear that a lot from people who are actively involved in kind of driving ED&I. Um, whether that's you know part of a committee, working as a consultant, working as a DI lead, whatever it is, generally it's because they have had that experience somewhere along the line, which is I think is why we try and um when we work with clients is really try to get them to understand the lived experiences of people because that really changes our way we interact and understand and view these experiences and the people that have had these experiences and it's difficult when it's not a a real real experience like you've had with your friend um who unfortunately passed away at 18 and that you have with your son um do you think that's a bit of a barrier in that case if you don't actually have personal experience whether that is directly to within yourself or your um relatives, friends who may um, be marginalized or underrepresented, do you think it's impossible to truly understand if you've not had that experience?
1: Um, I think you can make that experience. So I guess the reason we're talking about accessibility is, so I started this project in the OpsNest, which is about how do we go about creating more accessible spaces for more people. But very quickly on that journey, I got in touch with um, a brilliant woman who I'm now, you know, chapter bits that we're on Facebook together, and I can see what she's up to on a pretty much daily basis. Um, but I, I tracked down a lady called Lady Marie, Um I watched her on the news. Um, so I, I stalked and tried to find her and asked her if she'd come and talk to us in the obsessed about her lived experience. Mm. Um, she is in a motorized vehicle. She has paralysis, um, and and so asked her to come on to a session to talk to us so that we could start to understand what that lived experience is for somebody Mm -hmm. but then um, very quickly after that I went to um I went and met her at her nearest train station and we traveled together from near to her home to an event so that I could see and understand Mm -hmm. that experience yes
0: Um,
1: and that has um I agree with what you say in that if you don't have access to that, that in, in you know, intel, I -hmm. guess, on that knowledge, that experience, that understanding, then you, it will be very hard for you to then find solutions for it, which is why the project that we've been doing in the OPSNES is about making sure there's nothing about somebody without talking to them. So no changes without talking to um, people who currently find events hard places to be because mm. they're the ones that need to tell us what their experience is and then us ops people can do what we're good at which is kind of go okay didn't realize that we
0: could sort that out so easily not a problem mm. I love that and the fact that you um, chose which I think this is something like it'd be great if everybody tried at some point to do in whatever capacity there is to Go on that journey, for, you know, shadow her on that journey to actually see what those challenges and obstacles are. Um, so you are able to problem solve that and get that kind of experience. OK, it's not personal experience, but at least you're able to observe um, and understand somebody else's experience. And I think we need a little bit more of that in our industry. I think it's very um. With regards to ed and i work sometimes it's very kind of surface level like what's the minimum we can do to look like we're doing the right mm. thing and it started with the recruitment piece like we need to look like we've got more diversity and what i've been trying to do is educate around well actually it's about that inclusivity and accessibility for people creating those inclusive environments and cultures where everybody can equally participate in whatever way is best for them and then you will start attracting that diversity that you seek within within the company so we were looking at it the wrong way around initially but i've gone off a tangent and i've digressed but um i just thought it's really important to point out understanding and looking at and facilitating for those different lived experiences is the most important part i feel initially in this work that that we do um you have been gone sorry go on. Uh, um,
1: sorry on that um queen i think you're absolutely right there's there's um there's another side to to it as well and and something that I feel um, and I think you might feel as well not everybody has that inbuilt curiosity that some others do Mm. but also not everybody who finds events and a difficult environment to come into wants to talk to an event organiser about why they feel that way And, and a lot of them definitely don't want five people tracking with them to do what I did I feel very privileged that Lady Marie um offered me that opportunity to, to undertake that experience with her
0: yeah um, but people could certainly it, put the onus on themselves and think okay I might not have that connection or somebody wants to do that with me but let me go and go and make that journey in that trip with a lens and trying to work out what the experience might be for somebody like that As, absolutely
1: know. and I think it's um it's up to people like us um who who have have some of that curiosity, the, how we format um, the output of that, so that um, our industry and the wider world can can tap into that, tap into all of that understanding um, is, is I, I think it's a big part of my purpose in life, is to take some things that sometimes feel quite tricky to access or uh, difficult to understand, and and create ways of um putting that information out in a, in a very easy to understand and easy to absorb manner um yeah that's my plan anyway
0: you know that's exactly you, you know you've explained that and articulated that perfectly um and I think we also I, I I put a post out on on LinkedIn um and I think you were starting to actually kind of talk about this before I interrupted you, um, which was around not needing people with accessibility requirements or who might have additional needs that shouldn't have to disclose to be able to access or attend your event. I mean, what are your thoughts around that? Um, I think I
1: can. I completely agree. Um, I think there's there's a balance there in that some people with very specific needs Mm -hmm. that are um that do need accommodations to be put in place Mm -hmm. um there is a need for that mechanism to be in place should they should they want to do that however it's there's got to be that meeting somewhere in the middle at the moment fundamentally we create (laughs) Uh, cru uh,
0: in the background of your dog's a, a show dog isn't uh, it? yeah
1: performing a um <laughs> sorry what they say so um at the moment we're creating event, event environments that are actually quite hostile you know, to many people um we're not even doing the basics uh so actually we have to we have to as event professionals develop events that, um, for most common um, accessibility requirements, that those are automatically catered for. And I think we are so far off doing that, um, that we're kind of at this impasse, until events um, can and will accommodate, until people can feel confident that the events that they're going to will automatically accommodate, We're a bit stuck. In an ideal world, I complete and I completely agree. Mm. they shouldn't have to tell us what their needs are. Mm. But until our industry steps up and starts creating a basic level of accommodation, yeah. what else, what else can we ask them to do? Mm. Um, and and I guess it comes down to where do we start on this process? Because there are so many event professionals that don't know where to start. So you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and for us to start somewhere, we have to find out what that need is, because we, we, are not, we do not have the benefit of working in an industry where the people who we are wanting to come to our events are in our industry. Mm-hmm. We don't have people who have accessibility requirements working in our industry to any, to any great degree
0: yeah
1: we don't have that knowledge inside
0: Mm. you see what I mean 100% see what you mean and there was something great that um I saw that Birmingham um for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games that they actually had um uh accessibility committee which was made up of those with lived experiences so they were able to kind of advise and inform I mean that's a fantastic idea if we were able to um utilize uh, you know, a mechanism like that and speak to those mm. people and help them, allow them to guide us. Mm. Uh, I think that would be amazing. But I, sometimes in our industry, I think we do think we're kind of a bit we're a bit of a bunch of know-it-alls. <laughs> I feel like sometimes we think we know it all because we are problem solvers and we're very, very good at it. We're like, well, I can work this out. It can't be that hard. It can't be that hard a thing, but actually we don't know everything. We can't know everything. We need okay. to learn from these people.
1: I can't, I can't, um, I can't recall anybody being blind or deaf or being in a wheelchair, Um, and that's just three elements of, of, um, to think about, people being employed in our industry. So it's a little bit like a lot of the other kind of inclusion topics that we might talk about. Unless you have representation within your industry, you are... You're on a hiding to nothing because you don't know where to start. You are grasping at things, which is why within our obstacle, what we've done is for the last six months, um, every every month or so we've we've kindly had about half an hour of time with the people who have different different requirements or different accommodations that would be needed for them to enjoy being at an event. And we've just spoken to them about their experience. Yeah. And uh, and just Spent the time asking them questions and that we've been very, very lucky that those people have given up that time. In an ideal world, if we were to actually look to solve this problem, our collective industry, our combined industry, so of all the strands of all the different types of events, would have um, an accessibility group like the Commonwealth Games did, where we could pool our understanding and spend money Hey, making sure people that are giving us their knowledge and understanding are being paid to do so for start
0: 100 that happens so often and if we talk about equity you can't ask these marginalized communities to do the stuff for free but it happens no. so much it really it makes does. me angry
1: <laughs> it really does and you know the the event that i asked lady marie to accompany me on last year um even though it wasn't my event i was i was Pulling together a panel for that event, I paid her because mm-hmm. I was asking her to come and do something. Which you know, why? Why would she? Why should she yeah. do it if um, if it's not for uh, a gain of some kind? It's it's more of our gain than than it was of hers. Um, I think that's really important, but I think one of the issues that we have in our industry, we don't have that collective purpose, we don't have that unified approach, we're all in our strands, um, we all do things slightly differently, and yet things like this, um, don't. it seems logical that we would have a group um, working on this on behalf of everybody.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Or even within individual organizations, having an accessibility kind of, I'm doing air quotes here, consultant, or even even if you can't bring together a group, it's just somebody that you bring into that process to get a little bit of guidance on, you know, would be useful, I think. But you're well, doing okay. something at the moment to kind of crowdsource what the kind of biggest accessibility challenges are, um, mm-hmm within our industry and what people think we can do to kind of improve this. Can you tell us a little bit more about this project that you're working on at the Ops Nest?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and hopefully you can stick the link out on any, um, on any text that comes with this. Um, so uh, we've been doing this for about six months and having these conversations and now of every conversation, there has been light bulb moment of, if we did that, that would solve that. Uh, so we've been writing all of that down, um, so the first thing we did was put all of those suggestions into a website called Campsite with a K, not with, um, with a C. Okay. Um, and what that um, site allows you to do is put in a suggestion, it allows you to comment on suggestion, and it allows you to uprate the suggestions that, um, that you like the most or that would be the most effective change. Mm. Because what we wanted to do was, um, is, is make sure that we don't just splurge out a checklist of things to think about. But if we were gonna to go to the C-suites of our industry and say, right, we want you all to make one change. This is the change you start with because this change will affect the most people coming to your event sites. So, and we've been talking to people um, around mobility, medical incontinence, financial restrictions, aging population, auditory and visual, families with young children, pregnant women, we've been talking to so many different people that find events unwelcoming, which is a surprisingly huge amount of list of people.
0: Um, Who are events welcoming for, I wonder? (laughs) So,
1: and actually, um, a lot of the themes run the same for a lot of people. And so far, I mean, we've not finished yet. The thing that we need to do, and one of the reasons that I was so happy when you asked me to come on is, we need to get this, this campsite link. It's live. You can add to it at any point. Mm. We need to get it into, in front of more people that have more accessibility needs so mm. that we can make changes that are, are appropriate are fair are well thought through and well considered but at the moment the number one thing that's been uprated the most doesn't cost a thing
0: I actually looked and I think I've got it open somewhere here but can you remind me what it is information
1: oh yes of course yeah Mm. information so for example if you did a little video when your registration site or your entry point, or even in advance of the event, ideally of, of, right, here's the access route here. Here's here's where you pick up a badge or here's where you pay for a ticket. Here's how you access into the event space. This is what the event space looks like. Mm. Uh, Plus the text information that will go alongside that in terms of toilets and all the, the other things that you might want to consider that information will give more confidence to more people. And I don't, like I say, I'm nowhere close to an expert in any of this, but increasingly in all the conversations I've had, the uh, the one thing that's um, overridden everything else is that people have said, I know where, where my restrictions are and I am the best person placed to know whether that event is or isn't going to be somewhere where I enjoy. Mm. The Problem I have is that nobody tells me the information that will ever give me the confidence mm. to make that decision. Yes. So if yes. you give me the information, mm. I will ascertain whether I am comfortable bringing my motorized um, wheelchair there or if I, you know, if I will be comfortable and confident in that environment. Yeah. Um, and it's that information that's missing. Whether it's they... So far into the joining instructions, it's like right at the bottom.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and even if it's like this event will have transcription, this event will have um, BSL, you know, that, that sort of information as well. Um, you're right that is free that's just information that you have as an event organizer that you can share and then i mean once they're you know it doesn't have to cost huge amounts so there is event technology out there that once that person is inside the venue they are there they can find like where they you know where the disabled toilets are where they're able to go and get food where all the talks are taking place how to get to those places the easiest quickest safest routes Mm -hmm. um obviously that's that's a cost but definitely starting off with this information piece, as you said, it's free. It's free time, I guess. But if
1: you can put on there the mobile number of somebody that can help.
0: A dedicated person. Why do we not have dedicated accessibility officers at events? Sorry.
1: Because events, <laughs> because of the size of a lot of events, you know, if, you're, if you're accommodating 30,000 people, obviously mm. there has to be process and Mm -hmm. systems that will suit the majority of people going to that event. But what we're not spending enough time at within events, um, in my opinion, is understanding those people that fall out of the processes, we need a system for them. So for example, when we got to the event site, you know, went through all the train process, went through um, getting into the venue, not a problem. Got to the actual doors of the event itself, and that's where we faced a problem. And and this is no um, nothing to do with that event specifically. Every event I've organized, I know that that person would have experienced the same situation in every other event, pretty much that I've done. Um, yeah. It's a common it's a common issue. Mm. but at that moment where things where we didn't fit into a system and some we needed help it was the getting help that was the barrier um so actually if you would have just got right well I'll just give her a call yeah and then I'll give him a call um and so having processes for those that fall out of the process Mm. I mean we're processed we're processed people so we that should set our world on fire having (laughs) processes the things that aren't processed but um or you know
0: situations or people that
1: fall outside of a process um so yes
0: that's i love it thank you for sharing that and that both of those are really really good immediate tips that people could actually take away organizers could take away from this conversation today is supplying that information it doesn't have to cost anything and like not and ensuring that there's not a barrier to um to seeking help once people are at an event you know yeah processes around that so um thank you for
1: I sharing guess, um, i'll just say though with that so, i mean sadly I, I i do i am aware that i felt the need to highlight that the top one thing doesn't cost any money that doesn't mean that our industry shouldn't be spending some money Agreed. um and investing in ensuring that this huge portion of our society one-fifth of our population Mm-hmm. Um, is welcoming to events and there is not one person who at some point is not going to be disabled in their life exactly. whether through exactly. through uh being older getting older you know um or mm-hmm. through a temporary operation or an injury mm-hmm. you know this we aren't talking about a small percentage of our population here so we we need to invest it is not only is it it is the right thing to do and going, going back to, I think one thing that I wanted to say a bit earlier, but I forgot to. In the in pandemic, we I really noticed that events are like the punctuation of our world, you know, and that's and we really missed that during lockdown. We missed going to a concert. We missed going to meet somebody to talk to somebody about something. But they're the punctuation that separates our kind of day-to-day monotonous existence uh, of what it might be, whether it's a wedding or a, or a Christmas event or, or something. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. I think fundamentally events have an opportunity to, to make social change yeah. because in the events, we communicate with the rest of the world. If you have a trade show that is in one particular you know, aerospace or something like that, at that event, you have the opportunity to show what you should be doing to a whole industry.
0: Exactly. We well, have such just... a huge opportunity to drive social change. Yeah. We're not, and we need to. Exactly. And I know there would have been lots of different organisations who would have been involved in the planning of COP26, for example, but when the Israeli...
1: Mm, mm, yeah, I minister. Mean,
0: yeah wasn't able to I mean if we'd had that training and we had that knowledge that would have been in a process that's something that would have would have been flagged and that just shows the influence that we have on other events and then therefore the people who are engaging with those events and society as a whole so thank you so much for for flagging that and I'm going to make sure because it's such an important project um, and it's you know very simple to take part so I'm going to make sure I share the link in the, the notes share it on our social media platforms as well and really rally people to get involved I mean how long is this kind of um tool uh, voting system open for
1: it's it's we're gonna keep it going forever because we should um obviously a year from now it'll be out of date if we don't keep going so there's three there's three things that we're asking for. Uh, number one put in any ideas because not all the ideas are in there yet there's so many more ideas to come so put in any ideas that you have comment on any ideas that are already in there things that have worked haven't worked for you um, any understanding that you can provide for it and then uprate the ones that would have the most effect on you now we only want people to upgrade if that change affects them don't but... just upgrade if you think it's a good idea that's kind because of important. <laughs> quite a good, uh, quite an important point. You can only uprate. We ask you to only uprate if you are affected by um, not co- by coming to events that aren't overly accessible, or not coming to events because they're not accessible. Because um, it's it's about making sure that we don't make changes that that aren't well considered and well thought through.
0: So this yes, is yes. so this is relevant for those who are not within the events industry, those who attend events as well, right? Yes. So, what's a coverage large different communities, large amounts of communities to engage with with this to share. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So,
1: yes, from all sides. So the comments can come from all sides. The suggestions can come from all sides. But only uprate it if you've got that experience.
0: Got you. Lovely. Well Lou thank you so much for your time I've really enjoyed speaking with you today um, and just you know talking about our experiences around accessibility our frustrations what we can do better but you know at least we're starting to make a step we you know we there's a lot of learning to do and we, as you and I said our, amongst ourselves like we're continuously educating ourselves but we need to start somewhere and it's totally fine to kind of just jump into the unknown and start at the beginning. Even if you don't have that enough knowledge or you think you don't have enough knowledge to contribute, you we need to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. One change a month. One change a month. change a month. I like that. Well, that's a great note Thank to leave. You so though. much. Thank you so much for your time. Bye. Okay. If you'd like to find out more about how Diversity Alliance can support your business through its EDI journey, email gabby at diversityalliance.co.uk. If you'd like EDI news and resources delivered directly to your inbox, head to our website, diversityalliance.co.uk, where you can register. Just a note to say, you can also catch these interviews on our YouTube channel. Just search for Diversity Alliance, where you'll also be able to view the episode transcript. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, do leave us a review.